Hello and welcome to the Pinnacle Podcast, brought to you by Pinnacle.com, the online bookmaker that offers you the best odds, the highest limits and a unique winner's welcome policy. I'm your host Ben Cronin and today's guest is someone that knows more about Pinnacle than anyone else. It's the company's trading director, Marco Bloom. Hey Ben, thanks for having me. No worries, great to have you on. So before we delve into all things Pinnacle, let's talk a little bit about how you actually ended up working for the company. Oh, uh, that's a, probably a podcast on its own. It's, it's quite a long story. Um, in, a, in a nutshell, I used to be playing a, a collectible card game, a strategy game called Magic the Gathering. Ended up being somewhat decent at the game. Some of the people that I played with went into sports betting, were betters with Pinnacle. They did quite well betting Pinnacle. Um, eventually got a job at Pinnacle and were asked if they have other people that they could recommend so that's how I originally got into Pinnacle. It's been almost uh, 12 years by now. So 2007 is when I started. And so do you think kind of the way Magic the Gathering works is kind of related to the skills within sports betting and trading? Um, yeah, I mean, Magic the Gathering, like any other game, uh, lets you work with uh, uncertainty, with variance. Uh, certainly things that are very common in trading that, that you... You have incomplete information in front of you. You have to make good decisions. You have to make good decisions under time pressure. So it's a very natural thing from 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 playing games, magic the gathering into into trading. And if you're kind of now looking for new traders, is that something you'll be looking for in terms of their experience? I'm not specifically limiting myself to hiring magic the gathering players, but I do like game gamers. I find people who are good at playing games are in generally fast learners and people who like to adapt to new challenges and, and are also known to play or perform under pressure because games usually have some form of pressure built, built in in the scenario and in trading uh, it can be it can get very stressful to be in trading so you need to keep cool under, under hard circumstances. And is it right to kind of say that you think that's like a natural skill that people then develop over time or can it actually be completely learned? I think it can be learned. I mean, obviously you have to have some affinity and some uh, resilience to, to pain. But for, for sure, like becoming a gamer and dedicating yourself to, to learning a game shows that you have dedication to learn something complicated and uh, especially have a competitive drive to compete with other people. Trading is competing against other people right there's a market everybody is trying to win and then you're trying to do the best work what you can so there's a high form for competition inside trading so let's kind of pretend now that i've i've decided i want a change of career i want to become a, a pinnacle trader what's kind of like the process involved is there some assessment or ridiculously you need like a high iq to to do logic questions and um, it's a question I've been always asked what do I have to become to get to become a trader at Pinnacle the answer is it's not surprisingly knowing sports a lot is actually not very helpful um, being uh, on the data science side of things being uh, logic or you know, maybe have some modeling experience that's certainly like a much bigger help than knowing sports inside and out um, being a sportsman is not a requirement to become a trader at Pinnacle. In some aspects, it could be hindrance. It doesn't have to be. I mean, we have very successful traders who are sportsfans, but most of the traders are actually not very sports fanatic. They're mostly on the numbers side of things. So you think the majority are kind of non, not interested in sports, whereas it's actually the minority that are kind of the sports fans? Yeah, I would say so. We have a few people who are, who are die-art sports fans. You know, who watch every single game. 
in their sports, but most of the traders, I think the only sports that they actually like is esports. And so obviously you've kind of gone all through that. You've you've worked your way up through Pinnacle, and you're now you're now the trading director. But what is it that a trading director actually does? So my job is um, is, is managing the entire risk portfolio that Pinnacle has. So obviously, um, since we're taking big wages all the time, and since we're not kicking out winners, our client base is relatively sharp. So we need to be uh, careful not being too exposed. Um, and also, we need to keep up with the industry, so we need to develop new products. We need to improve our odds and what we do. This will be done in a section that we call R&D, where all the quants are working. So I'm responsible for risk management and, and, and product development, and probably as the two most common pillars that other people might have heard of. And I'm assuming kind of the, the day-to-day work compared to like a normal day like today compared to, say, the World Cup or a major sporting event. What's kind of the difference in that scenario? Yeah, the World Cup is an exceptional event because the World Cup, I actually go much more uh, down to the nitty-gritty than I usually do. Normal days, uh, meeting with some people, seeing what projects are, seeing what we developed, seeing things, you know. It's a, it's a complicated world that we live in with with hundreds of integrations and different models and something always goes wrong every day so you, know, you, you talk to people you meet some teams go to project plans it's it's not that different than any other manager job of a of a larger part of an organization there's nothing too uh, different about it except that you know we work in sports betting and uh, risk is probably not something that most people have to manage at this at this level. Most people probably have to manage project risk, or you know, have to manage project risk and actually financial risk as well. So in the early days, I mean, I think you kind of touched upon like stress or, or pressure. In the early days, did you find yourself not necessarily struggling with that, but is it something over time that you've kind of got a lot more used to? Um, I've been playing competitive games all my life, so to me this was not something that, that was unused to me. I used to play professional poker for many years, so I'm very very used to, to be, be playing under pressure and also stomaching positive or negative variants. It's just part of the trade. I mean, you get, you get used to it eventually, but it never just lets you completely go. I spent many, many hours in front of the TV sweating a, a goal or sweating a basket or... You're cursing at the screen for for something that happened because it was bad for 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 position that I had. And I mean, you've obviously you've been at Pinnacle quite a few years now, and I guess a lot has changed since you've been with the company. So can you just talk us through kind of the major developments that you've overseen? Yeah, I mean, the entire market has changed. So in 2007, everything was pre-live. Now uh, sports betting happens live. That's definitely a big change. So um, probably when I started. Maybe 10% of the action was live, maybe 5%. Now most bookmakers would report 66 to 80% in live. You know, that's where the action is. So customers want instant bets. You know, customers want, want to see the action and then place a wager. So that has been a big change. Um, the Probably the second biggest change is regulation. You know, markets are getting regulated you know, all over Europe. That's a big change in the industry. Overall, the, the, the industry is getting a bit tighter, you know. We've, we've seen consolidation among the markets, you know, Pettibar, Betfair, and Coral Brooks and all the other people merging. So there's, there's quite a lot of movement in the market. Sports betting is, uh, is quite a fluent uh, industry. I mean, kind of one fairly recent big change is obviously with um, PASPA in the US. So can you kind of, I mean, from what I've read, there's, there's customers out there 
the struggling with issues regarding getting a bet down, something that we see a lot of in Europe. So wh- where do you think the future lies with kind of US betting? I'm pretty, I mean, US betting is obviously a, a very complicated and hot topic right now. Um, Jersey being on the forefront, but there's 49 other states. Every state will have their own regulations and own taxation and own stipulations, so it's, it's quite unclear. Um, at the end of the day, I think the US market has to find its way, especially uh, are they going to uh, enforce minimum stakes for the client? Um, what kind of rulings are they going to have? In terms of what it means for Pinnacle, it, it's quite unclear. I mean, we've been looking at it with open eyes, but we have not yet made a decision in what way or which way we're going to be involved in the US markets, but certainly something we're looking very carefully at. And I know, kind of speaking personally, I can see since I've been with the company, kind of the, the emphasis has been placed on R and, and data science and the emergence of that. So where do you think now, I guess, from like a trading perspective, but also on the betting side, the customers, what do you think is happening with data science and where is it going to end up? Where is it going to go? Interestingly, I mean, the, the quality of articles that I've seen that many people produce now for sports betting has increased significantly over the last years. Um, four or five years ago, the best article would be very low-level analysis of a tipster trying to sell some picks without any evidence about what the what the basis are for his picks. You would hear some reasoning. Well, a team went 14-0, and zero. I think they're good. That was his reasoning. And now the articles that I've seen posted online just blow me away. In-depth statistical analysis, prediction forecast. Everybody is, is able to wield some models. So overall, I see a lot of sophistication going, going into that stuff. R is a tool, right? R is, R is a programming language, which I think is very uh, suitable for data science and certainly plays a big role in Pinnacle. Uh, we are, have been, and probably will be big R fans. Um, but it's, a, it's, 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 I mean, there's no, nothing wrong with doing things in Python or doing things in Excel for whatever you like or MATLAB. You know, whatever tool suits you and suits your need, it doesn't have to be R. However, I think the entire industry is going towards being more and more sophisticated on creating uh, better odds. And do you think there's still room, I mean, that's obviously kind of like the technical approach, and like you said, people are building models. Is there room for intuition or kind of the other the other side and people? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the problem on our end is like we, we're building generic models which are decent on average, but not decent in specific situations. So for, for sure, like the, the edges uh, can be gained by being able to watch the game keenly and understanding the flow of the game, you know, to understanding why this game might be a little bit divergent from the average game. Um, there's edges to be found in smaller leagues. You know, I, I know the lengths of uh, research that goes into um, football games, you know, with some of the uh, bigger betters out there, and they analyze the weather, you know, the grass the wind, the wetness, you know, everything gets analysed and the impact on the team. So I think there's a lot of uh, people who might have a natural gift to, to to see something and then make a good decision on that. And in, view, in your view, do you kind of think there's... I mean, the availability and data across sports is quite diverse. I mean, American sports is a lot more freely available data compared to, say, uh, European soccer leagues. Is that something you can pick up on on... And betting behavior and, and customers? Um, no, I, I wouldn't say so. I mean, data is, is, is getting more and more freely available in general. I, I guess this is true almost for all data, and I think sports betting is no exception to that in some in some regards. 
um, football data is, is is readily available. It's just behind the paywall. No, but there are, there is really good data sets out there. Then you know, can you tell you everything about how much mileage a, a player ran and what's his body temperature? Those data sets exist. You know, they're just expensive at this stage. I mean, a lot of our listeners and probably the majority of people listening to this podcast will already know about Pinnacle's low margin, high volume model. But can you just kind of talk a little bit more about kind of perhaps the technicalities of how we actually operate as a bookmaker? Um, I, I often compare to, to, to supermarket chains which sell the same product. When you come to Pinnacle, we, we try to uh, offer a product at the lowest possible price point to the clients. Um, the the client when it come when the client comes to us it's a no thrill feeling you know we don't offer bonuses we don't offer certain things that other bookmakers offer but what we do offer is uh, the best price that, that that we can possibly can and we're also willing to take a large wager from you many other bookmakers um, give their clients a lot of bonuses and try to attract them that way we never did that so the other flip side of this is that our margin is very low compared to other bookmakers, which means we actually need a lot of volume turning through our book to actually be profitable. So this this means we you know we give a, we we need much more volume than any other bookmaker. You know I think like other bookmakers famously operate in the you know, eight to ten percent range. We are in much lower range than that. I mean our odds on the EPL are probably one and a half percent maybe 1.7% or something. So for there's a lot of value to be found for clients actually who, who are into like getting great odds at a, and, and being able to place a big wager. And I guess the idea of kind of high volume is then the reasoning behind why we accept such high limits and, and allow winning customers because those are the type of people that are going to drive the volume that the company gets. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we obviously uh, I mean, we like the win the crowd uh, wisdom effects with some of the masses you know the more action we get and then the, the better our line gets the more information we can compile you know sharp betters by per definition know better than us what, what the line should be so we can incorporate this in our line and we, we eventually come to a very efficient line that actually probably represents the truth uh, of the betting event in, in, in the most accurate way and you kind of envisage a time where you say these bookmakers are operating around sort of 8 to 10% compared to Pinnacle's 2% or even less. Is there a point where they might meet in the middle or you might see other bookmakers kind of forced into to lowering their margin? Uh, the way that I often see it is, is <laughs> while we're all called bookmakers, if you look at the automobile industry, that's often a, an example I like to use, it, like Ferrari and a Prius, you know, they might both be cars, but they certainly don't target the same kind of clientele. So our clients are on the more sophisticated side. And they actually know what sports betting is about. They are not fooled by, by by these bonus offerings or these free bets or whatever. What they want is the best possible value. So they come to us, um, no questions asked. They can place a wager, and if they win, they get the money. Very often I'm approached by... Um, maybe other bookmakers or bigger betting clients who tell me, hey, I want to start betting with you and I want to bet a decent size and how does it work? And then I tell them, well, you open an account and you place a wager. <laughs> and then they're like, well, so do I speak to you then? I'm like, no, you don't speak to me. You're online and you click. And they're like, well, but, if, but what happens if I want to bet really big? I'm like, well, you go online and you place your wagers. 
a foreign concept. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's really like weird for them because they, they with other bookmakers, they, that wouldn't work. With us, it's just like, yeah, knock yourself out, you know, create your account, place some wagers and and then go about doing your business. So you, do you kind of think, I mean, it's is it fair to say that the way other bookmakers are operating, is it, is it a level playing field in the sense that as soon as someone knows what they're doing or they they start winning that these other bookmakers restrict or, or close their accounts? In general, I, you know, like to me, like I, I don't like to talk bad about competitors. I mean, I, f- I think many competitors have a very fine brand and do a good job. It's just like I don't think they're competing on the same um, <laughs> same selling points that we do. I mean, they're selling a, an, an experience. They're selling whatever they're selling. I don't really know. But I mean, certainly what we're selling is good quality odds. You know, we are in some aspects a real honest bookmaker. You know, you come to us. You don't have to. You don't have to declare yourself. You know, why you why you want to place two thousand dollars on an NBA game? You know, if our odds are there. If you want to place twenty thousand dollars, you place twenty thousand dollars. And that's, you don't have to speak to me if if you want to bet forty thousand. You just bet twice. Um, and that is a big difference. You know, when you come to Pinnacle, you know you're getting the best odds, and then you know. If you win, you don't you don't have to you don't have to worry that your account gets closed for tomorrow. So if you come up with a great strategy how to beat our NBA odds, knock yourself out. I mean, the money is there for for, for, for the taking. You know, now if you, if you can outsmart us, then buy yourself an island in the Caribbean. And <laughs> um, so I mean, obviously you don't you don't work for another bookmaker. You don't know what it's like behind the scenes. But, but the way they're set up, can you do you have any insight into perhaps what it's like to trade for those companies? Well, most of them don't actually employ that many traders anymore. The uh, other bookmakers usually go for outsourcing prices to other services um, because trading for them is not not the main <laughs> thing that they're selling. You know, like like uh, Bwin very famously in one of their public reports um, said, I think the quote is almost verbatim: "We don't operate in the sports betting industry. We operate in the entertainment industry." Our competitors are cinemas and bowling alleys, and that's where they see themselves, right? They're competing in that area about entertainment. Well, Pinnacle, I mean, as clear as that night and day, we are in the betting industry. We are in. We are there to offer a betting platform for people to place wagers, regardless of the level of sophistication. It means we are open for recreational punters. We are open for people who want to pay five pounds on the game that should enjoy themselves. We're open for people who want to play 50, 500, 5,000, 50,000 or more. It doesn't matter for us, you know. So we are happy to take people on who uh, put put uh, time into coming up with a good new model. You know, they found an edge on German Bundesliga corners in the second half, you know. Well, come to Pinnacle, you know, and, and, and make your money with it. And that's no problem with us. And so, I mean, obviously I'm guessing... One of the reasons that the Pinnacle is able to produce such efficient lines and, and have such low margins is because we have customers that have valuable information. Like you said, that guy who's who's built a model on, on corners in the second half specifically, is that what contributes to kind of refining our odds? The, the, the key for us is we have skin in the game. So as soon as somebody wins, we have to pay him. So yeah, it's it's uh, and uh, eventually we obviously don't want to pay somebody all the time. So we need to see how we can beat him. And uh, very famously, there's this uh, esports is a big topic for us. And in esports, uh, one of our customers you know, started winning because he exploited a certain fact in an esports game. Exploiting not in a negative sense, in a positive sense. And at the beginning, we thought the guy had no chance of winning long term. And then he won a week. 
two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks until we had to sit down and say, I guess the guy is smarter than us. So let's sit down, try to figure out what he's doing. And so after a few months, we actually figured it out and uh, we tweaked our model and now um, incorporate a lot of what we believe the guy figured out before us. But regardless, for 12, 12, 16 weeks, he was able to beat us every single day. And uh, I always uh, like, like to think he, he thought about Pinnacle as an ATM, you know, like <laughs> wake, wake up, collect some money. But that's what happens when, when, when you detect a deficiency or something like a, an angle that no one else has thought of that you can bring in. I mean, the money's there for the taking and sometimes for a very, very long time. So I guess kind of going back again to those those other bookmakers, their response is potentially, this guy knows what he's doing, let's close his account or let's limit his bets. Whereas well, I mean, it's, it's no secret, they would just reduce the stake to eventually one pound or one cent or um, or nothing, right? I mean, that's that's their business. They, they don't have a way of combating a guy like that, you know, because they don't have traders operating in the way that we have traders operating because they don't have skill in the game. I mean, their game is only, well, if a client is too good for us, we're just going to remove him from our portfolio. Well, in our world, if a guy is too good for us, we need to sit down and figure it out because if we don't figure it out, the guy will just keep on winning every single day. And how long are we talking before you can detect? I mean, I know you said it goes two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. How long is it before sort of <laughs> you start noticing that this guy knows what he's doing? Well, it depends largely on our arrogance. You know, so the esports guy, you know, we were very, we were very arrogant with him. You know, we, we, we uh, quote unquote challenged him. But what this means is, uh, when he placed a wager, instead of instead of adjusting the line in a in a reasonable way, we often didn't adjust the line at all. Maybe increase the limits, which is like oh, in, in trading terms of provocation. <laughs> Basically, saying bring it on, give us more, which he then did, <laughs> and then uh, he ended up winning a, a decent chunk. Um, it can take very long for us because obviously we're very uh, proud, cocky, overconfident, or whatever word you want to use. So it can take very long. Um, there are certain indicators that you know if somebody is constantly taking a bad price, you know, obviously, you know, obviously there are, there are some indicators that some customer might not be as sophisticated as another customer. But overall, Pinnacle customers are sophisticated. They know what they're doing. They come to Pinnacle for good odds, and they're getting that. The other thing is, when you deal small margin as we do, it's actually very, very hard for us to figure out how sophisticated or unsophisticated you are. Is because you never, you, you can't do that much of a of a mistake with us, you know. So that's another problem with our business model in that regard. You know, everybody looks very sharp when they bet pinnacle, and only time will tell sometimes who's going to be a long term winner or not. And I guess kind of if, if someone's clever enough to, to find that edge or build that model that perhaps Pinnacle hasn't accounted for or hasn't spotted, once the that gets picked up and then kind of the lines absorb that information or they kind of adjust, do you see people coming back with a different model or is it kind of like oh, once it's done, it's done? Oh, for sure. I mean, just uh, as a coincidence, just uh, two days ago, I reviewed a few of our clients with one of my traders, which are with us for over 10 years and have been winners every single year. Every single year, these guys have been winners. They're picking new angles. They're figuring out new stuff. Smart guys, you know, every single year made a good living betting with Pinnacle. And, and uh, it's interesting. I mean, these guys have reinvented them over and over and over again. They look for angles and they look for certain things that we don't account for. You know, they might specialize in smaller leagues. You know, they might specialize in smaller regions, you know, where they know they have an edge on us. 
it's uh, pretty interesting to see that uh, clients can be so creative in, in figuring out stuff how to beat us over and over again so is there kind of an element of the Pareto principle in play here like the 80-20 rule with customers well probably I mean probably 20% of our customers are you know uh, sharper than uh, uh, you know are generating like 80% of the volume or whatever I'm sure there, there's some Pareto principle involved in that and if we were to kind of obviously the the definitions or the terms square and sharp get get put around so if we say a sharp is someone that you think consistently knows what they're doing versus a square who's someone who who doesn't really what would you say is kind of like the split between pinnacle customers it's hard to say right i know that the average pinnacle customer is is, is much sharper than the average customer than any other bookmaker that's definitely true our customers are good our customers keep us on a tour all the time. It's quite a challenging thing because uh, as soon as we slip, our customers will take advantage of it very, 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 very easily. So training a pinnacle is, is quite a challenge, you know, because because you have no way of, of rejecting a wager. Um, other bookmakers can just uh, simplify the equation for them. If a guy beats them, they just remove him from the equation. We actually have to allow him to be part of the equation and have to figure out how to work around him. And do you think that's why, if we go back to that kind of playing games element, is it that, that idea of, of competition? You come up against someone, okay, he might be better than me, but what oh. am I going to do to kind of beat him? If you think about sports betting in a different term, like sports betting on our side is uh, we provide a, we, we play a game with our with our betters where we adhere to certain rules, you know, we offer lines, certain limits, and so on, and the betters has the opportunity to bet. No one is forcing them, so they... And whenever they place a wager, they want to obviously think in the place they win a winning wager or something that is profitable for them. So traders actually consider it as a game, right? It's them against everybody else. They, we don't particularly care of our betters who wins or loses. I mean, that's, that's you know, but we need to we need to make sure that we we are incorporating information as adequately and as fast as, as possible, and we anticipate what was going to happen and. You know, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, I've, I've seen people go on runs where they win for six months and then lose for four and then win for six. I've seen everything under the sun. You know, betting is a long-term thing. Just a few months is nothing in betting. You need thousands and thousands of wagers to eventually establish you know, if, you're, if you're profitable better or not in the long run. And I guess, I mean, the betters probably their their biggest marker for, for skill is, is a profit and loss or kind of how much they're making from betting. Do you think our traders almost set themselves targets or they measure their performance against how they trade games how does that kind of work well I mean so you have something which is also very commonly known as something like called EV against the closing line um, doesn't work as well in life quite obviously but it works pretty well in pre-life the problem comes in a little bit it's a self-fulfilling prophecy um, if we believe that a client is very sophisticated and we respect his wages a lot, then obviously we're going to move the, the line much further in his direction. But in general, if, if, you, if, you, if you don't beat the closing lines in pre-life, you probably have a problem with it. You're probably not going to be a winning better. You know, and this this goes also if you if you arbitrage against other bookmakers. I've seen it a lot on our Twitter. People refer to that very often. You know, use use our lines to at least know if, if you're getting good value at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, social media is full of it, and articles online often reference Pinnacle's closing line as the most efficient out there. Is that kind of? Do you feel proud when you see things like that, or is that just business is business kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm happy about what, what kind of work we do, but yeah, you know, it is it is a good thing that other people respect you, obviously. You know, and and uh, 
and we do an honest work in that sense, so it's nice that other people recognize it, but pride doesn't buy me anything. So we've talked about um, other bookmakers and sharp players and how they kind of, one of the challenges for them is, well, I mean, it's not even a challenge, it's kind of when they they notice a sharp player, they they close accounts. There must be challenges somewhere along the line for Pinnacle in terms of trading. So so what are they? Our trading requires volume, most most of all. The definition of a sharp player is a player who will be a winner long term. That means if, 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 if uh, winning or sharp player wages, we're not going to make money with this. So if we don't have enough volume and enough sharps in, 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 the, in the tank, you know, like we actually can't generate enough, uh, enough offset money, enough hedging money against, sharp, against the sharp player you know, to, uh, to establish a, a more balanced long-term position. So some sports are, you know, have a lot of volume naturally, like NBA, EPL, obviously, and some exotic sports, you know, they have very little volume. So the levers that we have as a bookmaker is uh, we can either have a binary lever, meaning we can offer the sport or not offer the sport, you know, but if we decide to offer the sport, then our two levers are limits, what is the wager limit per click, and what is our margin that we put on the sport. So, you know, it's no, it's no surprise that EPL... Limits are I don't know thirty thousand, forty, fifty thousand dollars a click, with a margin of you know one and a half to two percent or two and a half percent, whatever it is, and then some leagues like badminton might be fifty dollars and a margin of four percent or four or five percent. Um, so this is where we come in and try to balance uh, our portfolio a little bit out. Some of the events you know we, we don't offer at Pinnacle just because we wouldn't attract enough volume to trade uh, to trade them efficiently. So I mean that kind of I was going to ask in terms of what's the the hardest sport to trade and I guess the answer without putting words in your mouth is the one where you have the least information about it from betters. Yeah, so but but then it gets balanced by decreasing the per click bet and uh, increasing the margin. So there's a balancing factor in that. So while you can argue that EPL might be the hardest sport to trade so yes, I mean, we have good volume there, there's good action there, but then again, our margin is very, very low and then the max bet is very, very high compared to badminton where we have very little action, but then the max bet is very, very low and the margins are high. So yeah, it's actually like supposed to balance each other out a little bit. Um, I don't know what's hardest to trade. I mean, trading in itself, I mean, trading with no volume is difficult. Trading with a lot of volume can be difficult. You know, it's obviously easier if you have a lot of volume, but meaning a lot of volume obviously means you're attracting a lot of sharp money because you know, it's very attractive for a sharp to be a sharp in the EPL when you can bet 20, 30, 40,000 or maybe $200,000 with us. So <laughs> everything gets balanced a little bit in that regard. So I, I don't actually know how to, how to say what is the hardest spot to trade. And the, the, the figures you kind of talk about there, 30,000, 40,000, we're talking about per bet. Yeah. I mean... Obviously, to me, to a lot of people that listen, that's a lot of money. So from a trader, if they're taking multiple bets of that kind of size, is it you're completely emotionally removed from, from the money that's involved? I mean, it's mental, quite obviously. But you detach yourself as a trader. I mean, you have clients wagering more than you make in three years at a click. You know, But you just have to understand some people have more money than you. You know, <laughs> like uh, some, uh, some of our clients are other corporations. Some of our clients are... Your professional beddings, you know, that also have 30, 40, 50, maybe 200 employees. 
So there's a lot of there's a lot of variation among among the betters. And and yes, you have to you have to remove yourself. It's no different than watching poker on on, on the screen and you see them betting two thousand two thousand dollars a hand or three thousand or if you ever watch a big 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 game, you know, a million dollars. It's just like different people have different uh, monetary uh, availability and can place different amounts. Yeah. So is there? I mean, you touched on it earlier about the idea of of people that are sharper than pinnacle. How how frequent is that? If we use the the esports kind as, as an example, how frequent is that to kind of go through that as a trader and notice that someone's doing something right and think I better be on the ball here all the time? Right? That's that's the problem with us. Like everybody is a, is a shop in disguise. Like the one thing with betting is like no one is giving you the money for free. Everybody tries to place a wager that they believe to be profitable. And sometimes you don't know what's happening, and and it takes quite a while to to figuring out if somebody is, is sophisticated or not, you know. And, and it starts with usually like what do you believe the price should have been? Does it his bet make sense or her bet make sense here at this moment? You know, is it like a good bet against some line movement? There's many many different kinds of betters. You have betters who like to originate the lines. You have betters who just are very market driven. You have betters who like to play anti market. You know, there's, there's all kinds of stuff is happening, you know, and it's it's really hard to be on top of it all the time. And is it kind of? Do you find that obviously soccer is our biggest sport, and there's a lot of elements at play there, and it's I guess where anyone has their edge is the sport that they're going to bet on. But what is it that you think kind of drives people to bet on particular sports? I know you've spoken before about the narrative that's involved in in elite sports or elite leagues of sports. I mean, the, the thing is, um, you have people who like a sport and, and, and bet for recreational purposes. You know, they, they like to watch the game, like to put fifty pounds on the game. Gets gets them excited. You know, they might might have some cheering rights. And then you have people who dedicate their life to a sport. Um, baseball is a very famous sport for that. Sabermetrics people who like to know the inside and out of a baseball game and uh, and thus like to develop models for that. You have people who are esports fans who really get into esports who know everything about the latest patch and hoping that we didn't incorporate the information as much as possible that our lines are not reflective of the truth and they know the team's performance they know that somebody had a problem because they follow them on Twitter and social media and they're just faster than us with information so everybody has their own unique angle about why he picks a certain sport some people dedicate themselves to, to women soccer because they understand that probably our odds are not as good in women's soccer as in the EPL because most of the historic data is around men's soccer so if, if there would be any specifics around women's soccer, you know, they could pick up on those and, and, and could specialize on these events. So everybody is trying to find their angle about how they can generate a, a profit by betting with us. You touched on eSports there, and that's obviously something we're now looking at almost a decade since Pinnacle took its, its first eSports bet. And I know there's, there's been rapid growth kind of within the industry. Is, that, is it hard to kind of talk about competing against the betting market as a bookmaker has that been a challenge for Pinnacle? Well the esports market specifically is, is firmly in our hands to be quite honest um, no other bookmaker in my mind has, has come up with a product which is even like rivaling us in terms of uh, I think the highest limits that I see online might be like $500 while we have events up for 20000 50000 or sometimes you know for the international for $100,000 so I think every esports better knows by now. If you want to bet esports, you should bet with Pinnacle. You know, we have a good reputation on Reddit. You know, it, it's just esports. 
the esports betting uh, client is a little bit different than other clients, right? Esports betting clients come from the computers. In you know they have you know, they, they grew up on the internet. They played games online. So betting with a company online is not a big problem, and they actually don't like or don't need traditional companies that have shops on you know and uh, retail shop, brick and mortar shops. They are perfectly happy dealing with an online company that is unknown to them in many angles. And looking at kind of you look online and talk about the growth of esports viewership figures for major events. You kind of talked about. Um, the international there and they're kind of compared to things like the Stanley Cup and we're getting to even like Super Bowl viewership figures just how big do you think esports can be I think it still has a room to grow to be quite honest I mean the the events are selling arenas out in 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 the snap of a finger there's more and more big events uh, compared to like a few years now I think there's almost every other weekend there's a million dollar prize pool tournament I think there's still room to grow. You know, you see it like that all the uh, big sports club, Manchester United and Golden State Warriors, you know, have esports teams now. It's becoming a, a thing. You know, the the 18 to 24 year old they are into esports and not so much into regular sports. So there's a shift. There's a new there's a new generation of uh, of fans coming up, which like virtual sports more than real sports. And if we were to kind of rank in terms of I don't want to say our focus, but volume or, or top sports for Pinnacle, what's kind of the order and whereabouts does eSports sit within that? So eSports by now is our fourth most popular sport this year. So it's quite impressive. Right? Obviously, soccer is number one, tennis, uh, basketball, football, you know, baseball. You know, you know, but um, eSports is number four. So eSports is a true 365 sport. Um 24-7 almost, you know, you have tournaments every day in Asia, Europe, or South America, America, so esports is played all, all around the clock, every single day, I don't think there's a single day without an esports game, which, which is amazing, like most sports have breaks in it, you know, soccer being obviously not just just a large sport that is almost a game every single day, but if you, if you track traditionally like basketball, for example, you have a long break from you know, November, October to or June or whatever is the season and then you have a few months break esports doesn't have breaks so I mean judging by the betting numbers and how frequent the events are in terms of resources within the company is it kind of something that we have to invest in heavily it's the biggest department in, uh, among the trading floor uh, esports is the biggest department we put a lot of pride in our esports a lot of uh, sweat blood and tears over the years got some very very talented traders there but everything is built up from, from ground, right? I mean, esports, we've been true pioneers. It didn't exist. There was no market when we started, so we had to learn from, from day one how to how to model esports, how to think about esports betting, what's different about esports betting. And was, was it kind of, was it gut reaction back when we took that first war? Is it that kind of actually led the company to... Many, to many of the traders were esports fans, so they just wanted to throw esports up for, for fun. And then it became... Uh, with Twitch uh, blowing up and Twitch becoming a very popular streaming form, um, streaming platform, it became just this world of phenomenon, and we just happened to be, you know, there for the very beginning of it. And do you ever see a day where soccer becomes dethroned as as number one sport at Pinnacle? Probably not soccer, <laughs> you know, but other sports I think should should uh, should be prepared for esports in a few years. I think esports could clench number two. So what is, is is the allure just kind of the amount of 
people that are fans of esports? Is there something specifically about betting on the sport that make it more popular? I think it's a very accessible sport. You know, the idea that you can, uh, you don't have a physical hindrance to be able to be as good as your idol is very appealing to many people. If you watch a, a sport player like Michael Jordan, you might think, well, you know, I can't dunk. You know, I would never be able to dunk. If you see an esports athlete performing miracles and with with mouse and keyboard, you you don't necessarily have to think, oh, cool. well, I'm, I couldn't do this. You know, you're thinking in your head, well, with a little bit of dedication, I might be able to do the same thing. So if we now kind of, I'm interested to know, we, we had an, an article on, on Pinnacle's betting resources recently about the company's biggest losses and kind of events. From your perspective, when have you kind of been the most nervous? I see you're removed from the idea of money, but is there a time when you've kind of thought, oh dear, something's gone wrong here, how are we going to salvage it? Oh, you're talking about the biggest accidents? Um... Yeah, you know, there's been plenty in Pinnacle's history. Uh, a very funny one happened uh, right when I started in the company in 2007. The English teams, EPL teams, went on a promotional tour that I think they still do in, in China. And I believe the game was Manchester United with the Shanghai Dragons. Uh, was my, one of my first weeks working for Pinnacle. I believe the handicap at that point was three and a half. For people who don't know soccer, this is absolutely high. Normally, a soccer handicap is maybe around zero to maybe one. But this is a friendly game. You know, you have to understand that at that moment, I knew nothing about sports betting and nothing about soccer. I still don't know anything about soccer, but I learned quite a lot about sports betting. So anyway, I started trading the game, and uh, in true pinnacle fashion, we opened this game up for high limits. I want to say five thousand dollars, and bets were flying in, and. I was brand new to trading and I, I got I got overwhelmed very quickly and I decided to, to end trading the game because I just didn't know what to do anymore. <laughs> well, next day I came in and I saw that overnight my my supervisor you know, put the game back online, which I interpreted as a message to, that I need to be trading this game. So, okay, I'll trade it the next day, traded the game. Um, the I think the line ended moving from three and a half to five and a half, so which shows you that this is the nature of a friendly game, right? This is not a serious competition. It's not even clear if all the stars are playing or who's playing. Um, anyway, long story short, quite obviously I lost. <laughs> I lost a fortune on my uh, third week in the company, and uh, that was almost the end of me working at Pinnick. <laughs> the uh, the owner was not very pleased with my performance and questioned uh, questioned if I'm if I'm the right person for the job. This has been a, a story that we've been laughing about for for the time, but we have we have done many and we have had many accidents in Pinnacle, many many accidents in Pinnacle over the years. It's a very complicated world if you, if you if you try to price up thousands and thousands of markets every day. Humans make mistakes. Um, we might not know certain things are happening. It's very it's very tough, you know. Uh, another nice accident that I remember is one day I come in and it's in the morning and I walk around the trade floor and one of my traders is happy and he says, man, look at the volume that I've got today in Japanese baseball. And I said, oh, that's a, that's a lot of action. And I'm like, well, why do we have so much action today? And he said, well, I don't know, but the action just kept on coming in. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I'm getting a little bit nervous about that. Well, long story short, the, uh, the trader in question uh, was a European who is very familiar with the format of being home team versus away team, 
which is very common in all of the European sports. You list the home team first and the away team second. Not so much in the US sports. Because it's reversed. It's the reverse <laughs> order. And it matters quite a lot in baseball which team is home team and which team is, is, is away team. So he twisted it around. So every single line that he posted was wrong. And in addition, he was very stubborn and believed that every batter was not so, not so sophisticated. So the batters had a field day with us and won fortunes that day. So, I mean, obviously mistakes happen in that kind of instance. I mean, that's obviously a glaring kind of error. But is it, when you're a trader, is it a case of, okay, this guy came in, he knew what he was doing, he took us for a load of money, it happens? Um, yeah, I mean, often. It, it's, still a, it's, it's still a sting, right? I mean, I mean you're, you're playing the game and somebody outsmarted you for whatever reason, right? You, you, you don't like that. And traders get very ang- angry about that and trying to do better and better and better, you know? I mean, a few years ago, probably I don't know, six, seven years ago, lineups became a thing on Twitter eventually. So then the first customers took advantage of that. They were super, super fast lineup information. So everything goes faster, faster, and, and sharper. Uh, it's really interesting. Sportswing is very competitive. Everybody's trying to find an angle that, that no one else has found yet. I guess the, the market itself, I guess, when you boil it down, is kind of just people competing against each other, really, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, opinions are fight other opinions. I mean, the legendary fight between Mayweather and McGregor. You know, like, I mean, we had so much action on that fight. I mean, it, everybody had an opinion about that fight. Some people thought Mayweather couldn't possibly lose. Some people thought that, you know, you know McGregor has had a decent shot. And it's really, it's an interesting fight. And uh, it's an interesting fight because uh, no one knew anything about it. But still, people had so much interest and, and such strong convictions about that. You know, my personal opinion was that you know, Mayweather is going to win this fight easily. As it turns out, McGregor actually had had a, had a decent fight and had had a, had a fine shot at winning. You know, the question is, should it have been five to one or ten to one? I don't know about that. Five to one did seem low to me, but certainly McGregor performed a little bit better than I thought he would. Well, I guess that's the beauty of it, isn't it? You, everyone has an opinion, as you said, and, and betting allows you then to invest in your opinion or or what you think is is sound knowledge and. On Pinnacle's behalf, it's kind of you're now playing with money to battle against those opinions. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, some traders have a lot of pride, you know, and, and everybody values their own opinion very highly. Sadly, so often, often that, that can come costly for Pinnacle if traders get too stubborn and don't understand that other people just know more than them, you know, that they don't have all the information. But um, yeah, that's what betting is about, right? Put your put your money where your mouth is. You know, get uh, stop talking about what you what you believe to be the truth. Just just keep on betting, and if if you're right, you're going to collect all the money in the world. And do you think, as a trader, the idea of of betting that thing of if you work in a chocolate factory, you then you don't like the taste of chocolate. Do do, do traders bet, or is it they're they're surrounded by it so much that it's just kind of that they have their fun with it, doing their job? <laughs> Quite honestly, very few of the pinnacle traders bet. Mainly, and this, this this as is the main reason is because they couldn't find another bookmaker that is as good odds as we do, and they're not allowed to bet with us, and they hate the idea of going to any other bookmaker and throwing away their you. So, a, a golden question for you: How do betters win? How did? How do? How do? We're just being smarter than us, you know. Um, like our downside is we have to price up all the markets. Just find markets where we're weak, you know, attack us, you know, you know, attack us early, attack us late, you know. Find an find an edge and exploit it. 
I mean, people often kind of make make mistakes along their journey of betting. So, is there anything you'd kind of advise people avoid, or or like a perhaps a common misconception in the betting industry? Yeah, there is a common misconception. Parlays are not necessarily bad. So, now this is a very common misconception that everybody has. Everybody thinks that accumulators are bad. Actually, accumulators are are not bad in the slightest. And the reason is that accumulators are, you know, are actually a decent way of of of, uh, of getting money down, which many people don't don't fully understand. The, the principle why people think accumulators are bad is because they don't win that many times, but that is reflected in the odds. And you know, accumulators are often just the pure multiplication of odds. You know, so it's neutral EV in that sense. What happens is you actually place, a, if you think about um, accumulator in, in, in a sequential way that wager one happens before wager two before wager three, ultimately you're placing a lot of money on wager three. You know, if you, if you have an accumulator for ten pounds or whatever, and every wager doubles up your money or you know ten times your money, you know, first wager is ten pounds, second is a hundred pounds, thousand pounds, and eventually on the fourth or fifth leg of your accumulator, you're betting ten thousand pounds. You don't see it necessarily, right, because your accumulator encompasses it, but that's actually what happens. So I think people over overestimate how bad accumulators are. I think it's a very common misconception. So I mean, if they have if they have positive expected value on yeah. multiple bets, then there's no reason why. You oh, then there's actually like a, then it's actually a bookie nightmare because you're multiplying a positive positive value with each other. So do you see it regularly? Pinnacle people placing multiples or parlays, accumulators, whatever you want to call them. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't we don't post these these stories that other people post. I mean, we should how people win like you know two hundred thousand dollar communicators or quarter million. I mean, it happens. Sadly, quite regular with us that people do that people uh, get some big scores. Cool. Um, I mean, thank you for all the advice that you shared and the the insight you've given our listeners. But I guess we'll we'll have to call it a day there. Um, we'll be back with more podcasts, and in the meantime, you can visit betting resources section on pinnacle.com where you'll find countless articles covering major sports as well as educational betting related content for all learning levels. I just want to say thank you to Marco for coming in. Thanks, Ben, for having me. And thanks for listening. If you have any ideas for future podcasts, please do reach out to us on Twitter with the handle at Pinnacle Sports. So until next time, bye for now.